This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 191, with John Bogdazarian. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at how to do the work once and get paid forever. My guest in today's episode is John Bogdazarian. John sets the strategic direction for the ProManus Group's investment portfolio. He structures the financial terms of all real estate acquisitions. He's available to all Promanus investors and oversees all major decisions. John started Promanus with nine initial investors and has strategically guided the firm to serving more than 300 investors today. He prides himself on operating the company as a close-knit boutique firm that creates substantial value for its member investors. Investing in a broad real estate portfolio has taught John the skills needed to achieve his goal of creating value for tenants and investors. Promanus currently has ownership in multiple entities with more than 2 million square feet of industrial, warehouse, and distribution space, as well as over 1 million square feet of office space. A graduate of the University of Arizona, John started his real estate career in 1996, working in residential sales. He quickly became a top-selling agent in Ann Harbor, Michigan. He soon shifted his focus to commercial transactions and obtained his Certified Commercial Investment Member Designation in 1999. Certified Commercial Investment Member Designees are recognized as leading experts in commercial real estate, and only 5 to 10% of commercial investment professionals have obtained this designation. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MCLobster or by email at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja to 44222. To ensure that you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you do become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page where previous guests connect with listeners and you get to access a community of people that are on the same journey as you are, where you can network, share information and ideas, and possibly find a partner for your next business and deal. When you do become a patron, I will also send you a Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron at CashflowNinja.com forward slash support. My friend Dave Zook says you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for higher yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities The Real Asset Investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at Mahogany Bay Village in Belize or investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the U.S., visit CashflowNinja.com forward slash real asset investor. 
Gelt Inc. is a multifamily syndicator which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Gelt provides its investors with significant cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. You can reach out to Joss Satin at joss at geltinc.com to learn more. Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start and how to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit JoinOps Properties at joinopsproperties.com. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRAs within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. John, welcome to the show. MC, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I started out in, um, I mean, I don't know where you want to start, but basically post-college, you know, working in restaurants, thinking maybe I wanted to be in the restaurant industry, pretty quickly realized that wasn't for me and um, got a job selling condominiums in a golf course community. I was the on-site sales person that drove people around in a golf cart and <clears throat> very quickly began selling these things faster than the builder could build them. And from there got my real estate license and, and then started working on a plan that I had actually written out for myself in high school, um, trying to buy uh, single family homes and um, basically go after this philosophy of doing the work once and get pay- getting paid forever, which was sort of something that, I don't know where I got that from, but it was way back in probably the 80s that I wrote that down somewhere. And then um, somewhere in the 90s started working on it. And by about 98, I had about 20 single family homes. Um, I think I was around 28 or 29 years old. And um, it's just grown from there, from being a broker um, all the way to now just running a private equity company and trying to create wealth for other people. Oh, fantastic. And I love that philosophy. Uh, I love it. That's uh, that's what we try to do too. You work extremely hard to build that asset and have that asset keep paying you for the rest of your life while you go on to other uh, to create uh, other assets. So love that. And that was back in the 80s now. And you had written down real estate, which is really, really interesting at that stage already in high school. What attracted you to uh, the investment clause? Um, and what do you still love about this asset clause? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know where I got it from, but somewhere at an early age, I, um, I, I wasn't very much of a student. I wasn't capable of paying attention in class. They didn't really know what ADD was. So, you know, I was pretty much labeled lazy, wouldn't apply myself, disruptive in class, things like that. And so I was more of a vocational learner. I had to do things. And I just kind of somewhere along, I was pretty good at math. And I, I was somewhere along the way figured out, hey, you know, if I just own 10 houses free and clear and they, you know, I could 
pull thousand dollars a month after expenses off of them. I'd have 10 grand a month and I'd never have to work and I could be as lazy as I wanted, which I thought I was. Turns out um, <laughs> they were just sort of mislabeling me. So um, I'm not really lazy. I'm just, um, I just work differently than other people. But this whole philosophy of doing the work once and getting paid forever doesn't really just apply to an asset, like buying an apartment complex, let's say, or investing money. It applies to to getting a skill set. So really very early on, what I what I wanted to learn was I wanted to learn how to sell. And so I, I studied under some of the best mentors and, and, the, and the top salespeople anywhere in the world to learn a, uh, the ability to ask questions, a question-based format, and develop a, a, what, what I call prospecting mindset, which is to just simply go out and ask for things. And you can it revolves around anything. I mean, it applies to anything and everything you ever wanted to get to. So, you know, you could even look at, like, say, for instance, you, if you love music, you can learn to be, you can learn an instrument and you can learn to become fluent. It may take a long time, but if you love playing music, you can do the work once. And once you've done it, you, you're, you can be such a good pianist that you can entertain people for the rest of your life. I, I, I think the, the challenge becomes applying that philosophy to something that you truly like doing as opposed to, a conquest, like, you know, I want to, um, you know, make a pile of money because making a pile of money at the end of the day is okay. That's great. A lot of people may be excited about that, but it's just a pile of money. It doesn't really, that's not a true core reason to do anything. I was, I was, I, I, that was a catalyst for me. I've always had financial benchmarks that I wanted to hit and it was a carrot that I went after. But what ended up happening was, as the bigger deals closed and as I got to the point where my passive income was far exceeding my monthly expenses and I didn't really have to work anymore, it became a bit of a disappointment or a letdown actually. And so, you know, closing big deals became uh, less the carrot and it became more about helping other people and creating wealth and value for investors as well as the people on my team that helped me. I couldn't do anything like this without all the people I've surrounded myself with that, you know, I want them to grow and develop and learn skill sets. And, and, and so, you know, it, it really has to change shape over time, but I, I certainly know, you know, starting out for me, it was about trying to work my way out of a job. It was trying to basically own enough stuff so I didn't have to work. Now I realize that, you know, it has sort of morphed into something else. <laughs> yeah, it, it tends to do that. And I love the philosophy too about acquiring skill sets because we have spoken about that on this show uh, quite a number of times where in, especially in the age that we are at right now, and even before that, it's all about the skill sets that you acquire to provide value for others and not necessarily the pieces of paper that you stick up against your wall, uh, unless uh, they uh, you learn skill sets while acquiring them to provide value for others. Um, now, staying on the topic of, of real estate too, and, and from an investment perspective, um, what are you looking for when you're evaluating deals is, and what checklists uh, do you use uh, in some of your decision-making when these deals come across your desk? Well, we, we have a due diligence checklist that we use on for existing assets when we're looking at making acquisitions. Now, we're not really making as many acquisitions anymore on existing assets today because of where we are in the real estate cycle. 
Um, but, but to answer that more broadly, we're looking to avoid mistakes. So um, I know one of the, th- the themes from listening to your other shows, you had tend to ask people, what's your biggest mistake or, or, or potential, you know, failure or, or problem you ran into, whatever it may be. And I would say, you know, for me, um, because of my sort of quick, impulsive uh, uh, beha- sort of behavior in, at times, especially when, you know, buying a property, I tend to move very fast. Um, due diligence is by far and away our most important thing that we focus on. And, and, and that's just trying to quantify anything and everything starting from macro all the way to, to micro or macro to main street, as people like to say. Um, uh, and, and so a team of people, that's not just me. That's, that's, uh, my CPA and CFO, um, uh, Eric and, and my director of operations, Brad, and my lead asset manager, Anthony. And, you know, so there's a, there's a whole group of people that are looking at, you know, various facets of a, of a development deal. If we're looking at ground up or an acquisition and that's, I think to me, the most important thing is, is avoiding those mistakes because those mistakes aren't necessarily catastrophic. I've done some deals that, that weren't, they, they weren't going to meet projections. As a matter of fact, uh, the worst deal I ever did, I bought in 2007 and it probably was going to fall flat on its face. Um, for the first two years, I couldn't distribute cash flow and I projected to my investors a 6% cash on cash return for, for, for 10 years and then a, um, a good hit when we sold it at the end of 10 years. And for those first two years, because I didn't conduct enough due diligence up front, uh, I realized I overpaid for it and, and I had a lot of bad tenants in the apartment complex and it didn't, it cost me a lot of time, a lot of time. And time is my most precious asset. I mean, it is for all of us, right? We, we, right. Can, we can always make more money, but we can't make more time. So avoiding mistakes saves a lot of time. And, and uh, you know, in that particular asset, and this is what I like most about real estate and why it's my kind of area, you know, I don't deviate from because we can fix it. You know, I could go in there, replace the property manager, evict the crummy tenants, roll my sleeves up, get new tenants in, rehab the units that needed to be rehabbed, you know, fix the problems. I didn't have to ask anybody to put more money in. I've never made a capital call, um, you know, on any of my deals. And then after a couple of years, you know, every, everyone was patient. Nobody was, you know, griping. The market had imploded. So half these people that were invested had lost 40% of their stock market portfolio. So they were thrilled with the fact that they hadn't lost their money in their, my real estate deal. And so, and after that, we started cash flowing very, very nicely. And we just sold that property earlier this year at about a 75% gain. Um, plus it cash flowed for, you know, eight years. And so that was, uh, uh, turned out to be a great deal. But, you know, again, for me, it was a royal pain in the butt. And, um, and even managing it for those eight years was kind of more of a pain than I would have liked to, for it to have been. It wasn't a passive activity for me by any stretch, but, um, you know, it worked out. And I, and that's kind of what I like most about real estate is the ability to go in and have an, you know, it's not just like buying a stock and you're, you have no control over what happens with that company or that market or what technology comes along to wipe it out. If you buy a good real estate location, you buy a good asset, yeah, you're going to run into some challenges, but you know, you can overcome those if you're good. 
Right. And it, it, the predictable income helps you too. And the control that you have over it, as you, as you were talking about, there's uh there's risk management strategies and, and turnaround strategies and getting rid of bad tenants and, and so forth. Uh, you had mentioned market cycles and this is extremely uh, important and something that you've spoken about. And um, yeah, that, that you saw coming uh, the last turn, uh, turnaround uh, uh, along the line. Can you speak about uh, the market, the current my, market cycle? cycle, how you analyze the, the market cycle that, that we're in, and how were you able to see what was coming in uh, 2008 and 2009? Yeah, so actually in 2006 is when I started offloading everything I could that wasn't backed by predictable income. So anything that was a development deal where I had to you know sell units out, I had an office condo project at the time, I closed the last units in that, I think towards the end of 2006. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know that we were going to drop off a shelf and credit markets were going to freeze. I, you know, had I saw that coming and been smart enough, I would have, you know, done the big short or whatever, you know, really smart guys did on that. I don't know. I, you know that's not my world. But what I could see is I could see that, that the supply of, of homes was exceeding the demand for them. And that was relatively easy to see. You could see in the multiple listing system, the inventory of existing homes growing. You could see prices kind of flattening. And then you could also see that like the new developments that were going on, all of their sales were basically speculators, investors putting down, you know, three or four deposits on new homes, hoping to flip out of them before they were done. And when that started to happen, that's when, I started to say, hey, you know, this is crazy, especially the um, the no doc, you know, do you have a pulse? Yes, you get a loan at 103% of the value of whatever you're buying. I mean, that, you know, the minute, if nobody has any money in their home and, and their home stays even or goes down in value a nickel, you know, they're going to walk away from it. So that's a dangerous area. And um, so that's history. And I think I was fortunate to, you know, kind of, see that get out of the things that weren't backed by income, keep my stuff that was, you know, single family homes and other properties I had that were backed by predictable rental income. And then, uh, and then be patient, you know, in 2009, we didn't buy anything in 2008. I didn't do anything. Um, and in 2009 was when we started buying existing properties and we were even maybe a little bit early, but, um, but the, you know, the numbers were just so good and, it made such good sense that we bought pretty aggressively all the way through about 2000, really 16. Um, and, and it started to dry up in 2016. It just became harder to find things that fundamentally made sense on existing numbers. You now had to kind of, you, today you have to buy based on being able to raise rents, which, you know, I don't want to pay someone today the value for a property that it's, you know, what something's going to be worth in three years, if I can raise the rents to that number, right? I mean, it just right. doesn't make any sense. Why would I give them that value today that I have to go create for the next three years? And I see people doing this all the time. And I'm like, you're crazy buying at a seven cap. It's not, you know, you have nowhere to go. And so now they could be right. I don't know. I just, that's my philosophy. So if we can build things from the ground up and we can build them to a 10 cap, why would we go buy existing at a seven or eight? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So now we're ground up development and we're focused primarily on core areas where uh, demand is, is exceeding supply on a consistent basis. And there are fundamentals that are backing that and reasons for that. 
And then we're building product types where, you know, in good locations that, that, you know, are, are in demand essentially. And it's that, you know, rel- relatively simple to be honest with you. Um, you know, the, there's so many examples uh, in our world where you look at like, for instance, in where I'm from Ann Arbor, which is um, where Borders bookstore was headquartered and, and started um, by the Borders family, actually, who we were, I was friends with the Borders uh, growing up and, they built a phenomenal company, uh, which which actually was built kind of based on technology, and um, they came up with a kind of the first point of sale system for bookstores, and they put a lot of mom and pop bookstores out of business because they could keep you know one or two books on the shelf as opposed to ten. I don't know if you remember way back when, but bookstores used to carry you know ten books on the shelf because. They didn't have any way of restocking and retracking them. So they could only carry, you know, maybe, I don't know, 300 different books and, and orders could come in and in the same space, carry 3000, you know, and then restock every night at a point of sale. And then ultimately they got wiped out by a different technology later. Of course they had sold by then and whatever, but the point is the borders headquarters in Ann Arbor uh, was vacant for a little while, but it's full again, and it's probably full at a higher lease rate than it ever was. All the Borders bookstores that I've ever seen and looked at are all full again. And so the Lord that owns that land has done just fine. But if you had owned Borders stock, you know, it probably didn't go so well for you if you held it, you know, to the end. And so, you know, real estate, like what we're looking at now in the cycle is those core infill city, you know, downtown Ann Arbor is not going to go anywhere. Downtown Chicago is not going to go anywhere. Denver is not going to go anywhere. We're building a hotel in Denver. We've got some condo projects in Denver. Um, We've got stuff, office buildings in Ann Arbor. You know, I I guess in short, you know, we're, I think we're going to be in the development cycle for the next five to seven years. There's not going to be any downturn as long as you're picking kind of the correct markets where demand is going to remain consistent. That's very, very interesting, too, that now uh, you're in the development uh, part of it because you can just, you know, uh, you can construct and develop something uh, much more cost effectively and at a higher cap than what you can buy for. So really, really uh, a telltale sign of where, where we are at. You're listening to John Bogdazarian on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. You're listening to John Bogdazarian on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. Now, from a company perspective, um, can you share a little bit with my listeners what you guys do? Uh, you've mentioned some of the projects that you guys are involved in, but maybe uh, talk a little bit more about that and what value you provide to the marketplace and for your investors. Yeah, I mean, overall, so so I actually hopefully will have my book out and done by the end of this year, this whole do the work once, get paid forever philosophy. And it's really geared towards 
um, accredited investors. Um, our, our, the way we, the way I see our company is we're really, um, and in a way we're a middleman, uh, you know, we're taking our experience, our knowledge, our systems, um, and, and we're, we're allowing people to participate in the returns with us. So we syndicate deals, we have funds, we have individual one-off deals. And essentially we have, I don't know how many now, but we have, we have thousands of potential investors on our potential investor list. Um, and then we have, uh, um, I, I know we were in the three or 400 range in terms of active investors that participate in our various deals. And, and what we try to do is be a platform for them so that they can participate in these things in a passive nature. They don't have to do the work we do. We do all of that. So the, the first and foremost, you know, mindset is to people with money. Um, and, and I think there's different people that look for different things. We certainly have conversations with investors that are looking to double their money in a year or, or overnight and, we say, hey, you know, that's not what we do. We're not, you know, we're not in that line of work. We're into protecting our wealth and growing it, you know, at a reasonable rate for the, you know, potential risk that's out there. So um, with that philosophy, we have generated very high returns for our investors and it's worked out very well for them. And that's our core value is making sure we do that first. So money always gets preferential treatment in my world um, because most of the people that invest with me, you know, actually all of them that started out were immediate family and friends and virtually everyone I know is invested with me. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, they have to be treated fairly and we want to create value there. Now, in addition to that, for it to be a win-win, we obviously have to build a product that makes sense. That's a good product. That's going to last. That's going to be there a long time and it's going to serve a purpose for the community that it's being built in um, we're doing a 50-unit condo project in downtown Ann Arbor right now, which is a win-win-win-win-win because the investors will do well. It's a product type that is highly sought after, a higher-end condo in downtown Ann Arbor. There just aren't enough of them, and, and uh, you know, demand is off the charts for those. In addition to that, we're building the project on an old environmentally contaminated site where the buildings are built across uh, a 100-year floodplain. and um, and this uh, drainage easement that flows right into the Huron River. So there are literally, every time it rains, there's some contamination flowing down into a natural watershed. And so we, we're we cleaning that whole problem, getting rid of these old blighted warehousey, ugly buildings, you know, making that a really nice site, walkable to the core downtown Ann Arbor and a product type that people want, increasing the tax base. Um, you know, there were... It, you when you put that project together, I mean, you know, you just feel great about it, and that's the kind of thing we look to do. Now, I've also been involved in things where, you know, you get a big uprising and you get neighbors. You know, I had one project that I tried to do, and you know, 150 neighbors came out and said, you know, we don't want that, we don't want that in our backyard, whatever. And I said, hey, no problem, pulled the plug and walked away. You know, that's right. We don't want to be that guy, and um, or I don't want to be that guy, and we don't want to be that company so it's got to work and i guess we're willing to be patient and find the ones that make sense and go to the places where where people want us to be um and, and so you know the, and then we also have you know we have office buildings that we're building same thing 
Um, and we have, uh, right now we're working on a three or I think it's a 380,000 square foot, uh, industrial building to build a suit for one of our existing tenants. Um, they need some really high base space and, um, a bunch more stuff for a product line that they're, that they've got a contract on and, um, which involves the, um, what I really like about the industrial space is you get to look at all these companies and go in and walk through and see what they're building. We have aerospace tooling companies, you know, huge, huge buildings. And it's just awesome to see what they're doing. And, um, you know, so this one, it, it, it particularly involves electric vehicles, which is, a you know, kind of on their sort of a cutting edge product line that they've taken on. I'm under a confidentiality agreement, but it's pretty cool. And I'm like, I'm extremely excited if we can, you know, build this for them and, um, shift into that because I'm, you know, environmentally conscious and grew up in, you know, Ann Arbor and of a mindset that you, know, you shouldn't create more things that ruin the planet. But, uh, I know that's a big philosophical debate for some, but it really isn't for me. I kind of feel like we should try and leave things better than we uh, found them if possible. A little bit more uh, specific on on some of your offerings for your investors oh. um, is that you guys put together uh, some of these projects in a fund structure, which I found very interesting. Can you speak a little bit about why you guys put it in the fund structure and what were some of the advantages? Yeah, so we started, I started doing this um, in 2009. We made an acquisition. We put it in its own LLC and I had about 11 members in that LLC. Two, three months later, we made another acquisition and I had those same 11 people participate plus three more people. And so I had 14. Then we made another acquisition two months later and one of the, one or two of the people that were in both of the first two deals were not going to participate in the third deal. One of them was my aunt Barb, uh, who lives out on the East Coast. So I called her up and I said, Barb, you know, you really got to get in this third deal. It's the best one we've done so far. And she said, well, you have all my money. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you have all my, you know, retirement money in those first few, first two deals. And I just about dropped the phone on the floor and had back spasms. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to have, I don't want to be responsible for someone's retirement money. And it just, it was, you know, my aunt Barb and I was kind of panicked, like, oh, okay. And kind of hung up the phone. And, um, and so, you know, my brain just stewed on that for uh, a while. And I think I woke up at like three or four in the morning and was like, aha, I need to put these all under one roof. And then that way, you know, if I can create a parent company and the, and the investors participate in that, then they'll be diversified across all the acquisitions we make. So that entity is now called PF3. And that has maybe 30 different properties in it. And so my Aunt Barb, as well as 300 other people, are diversified across a huge portfolio of properties. And that that allowed us to do just tons of stuff. One, it made us way more solid with the banks. We have huge reserve accounts because we pool reserves at the parent company. Two, if any one of those individual deals it, you know, doesn't work out, we can chop it off you know, right there and get rid of it. And, you know, even if we have to fire sell it and just get rid of it for the debt, it doesn't really affect the whole big picture because we have so many that have surprised so, so high to the upside that any little hiccup we experience on the downside is virtually inconsequential to us. Although, you know, obviously we work hard on every deal, but it's, it just provides this massive amount of safety. And, and then by pooling reserves, um, 
it, it also uh, creates this, you know, we have over 10 million of cash sitting in the bank. Well, banks now, you know, they come, they want to meet with us. They offer us CD programs that pay higher rates. They do, I mean, they'll bend over backwards, waiving fees, doing all kinds of stuff because they want our business. Getting a loan now ceases to become a problem for me. I have banks throwing money at us left and right because they understand how we operate. So it gets us an advantage in the marketplace also because if we find an asset and, and we have to pay cash for it quickly, we will just, we'll write a cash offer, we'll close in seven days. And if I need more than say, let's say it's a you know $12 million acquisition and all I have is 10 million in my reserve account, I'll just create a short-term loan opportunity for my members. They're used to seeing it. And I say, hey, look, I'm going to give you 1% per month while we have your money. It'll all be back within three months. You know, so you'll get 1% per month for three months or, or less, but, you know, and we have 5 million available and boom, usually I'll have one guy that'll say, I'll take the whole 5 million, but you know, if you want to let other people get it, you know, that's fine. And we'll carve it up in hundred thousand dollar increments. And so we create these little opportunities where our members can, you know, make some money and it gives us the ability to come in and work fast, buy for cash and then put the debt financing on after the fact. Um, so th- that the fund structure also has done some other things for us internally. Like if you think about it, if we have 30 different LLCs, that's 30 different updates we have to send out every month, 30 different financial statements, 30 different, you know, tax returns to file. So now all those sub entities, while they sit by themselves and the properties are in those entities and we track them individually, um, they're all flow through entities and we only file one tax return for PF3. We send one update for the whole portfolio, you know, so it's, it's, it's a lot less work, which means we don't have to charge as much to manage and operate, which means more profits flow through. And since I'm the largest member, that's good for me. Um, as well as, you know, the other 92% ownership, I'm about eight. Um, so we're doing that with the same with these development funds. We create a development fund. Um, right now, the one we have is called PF4. It's, it'll have, you know, roughly six or eight different development deals in it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll raise 30 to 50 million. We'll place that money into these various development deals. I think we have three of them now. Um, and about three more in the pipeline. All that money goes out in about a one year period of time. And then as those projects liquidate and that money comes back in, we pay it out to the members and it doesn't roll and go forward forever. We give it back to them and it's a little shorter time frame. We actually, PF3 sort of runs indefinitely because it pays a big monthly check and nobody really wants to um, get out of it. Uh, but the development deals, they're shorter time frame. We're not really doing build to hold. We're doing build to sell product right now. If we, the next one, we might try and do build to hold, um, but we're just kind of focused more on things we can get in and out of uh, like condo projects and, just because those types of things are the first things to come in the development cycle. And in, in my opinion, again, it's all my, my point of view, but, but those are specifically, you know, like people listening, if they're interested in our deals and whatever, I always say to people, look, just send us an email, shoot it to IR at promanas.com, which is an, you know, um, investor relations, IR, um, for short, just IR at promanas.com. And, you know, we'll put you on our list and you can see what we put out and we just keep it real simple and whatever. And we don't really care if anybody ever participates or if they just want to get on the list to learn how we do things. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, we just don't want anybody on the list that 
like we're, we don't want to be spamming or bothering anybody, you know, so because I can't stand that myself. So the other thing you talked about risk diversification, one of the philosophical uh, and management approaches that I like too is you're constantly weeding out the garden as you as you call it uh, and part of your funds. Can you share a little bit more information about that? Uh, just how we kind of take the smaller assets that maybe don't make sense anymore for us and get rid of them, that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's also, uh, as, as you go through this process, I mean, I'm, I've been at this a while now, um, but I still learn stuff every day. And so occasionally we, you know, do a deal that doesn't make sense. We bought a building in Memphis, Tennessee, years ago. Um, you know, we're trying to unload that now. It's fine. It's, you know, the tenants paying the rent and we're doing okay on it, but it just doesn't make sense to have one building in Memphis, Tennessee. We can't get there easily and it doesn't, you know, we can't get any scale there. And so, you know, we're always like trying to click and get rid of this and get rid of that and see what's coming. I mean, you know, it's everyone right now is talking about the next big downturn being in tool and die. Uh, for instance, and that's a big thing in Michigan. You know, there's a lot of tool and die companies, and and you know whether or not that happens in four years from now, I don't know. But we certainly keep an eye on various industry segments that we think could potentially be wiped out by the internet, or you know might experience a downturn. And then we just want to make sure we're solidified. We're solid. We're, we're on solid ground, whether it happens or not. So that just means our rents you know, our, we have, we have big margins between, you know, our, our rents and our mortgage payments. Um, or maybe we just don't have that on certain buildings or, uh, some buildings that sit more out in a farm field and could not be repurposed very easily. We might get rid of those. Uh, that's another thing we constantly look at is, you know, if we've got something sitting out in the farm field somewhere and it's used for, a, I don't know, you know, specific purpose, uh, it may not be that easy to repurpose that building. If you're in more towards the city core and you've got a warehouse building and you know, you're getting three, four, five, six bucks a, uh, a foot in rent and you know, something changes and that tenant sp- spins out, you know, oftentimes you can repurpose that building, put a little money into it and get eight bucks or 10 bucks a foot in rent. So those are things we like to keep, you know, things we think we can adjust. And we're just always trying to, clean things up and get rid of the small stuff. Like I just sold all my single family homes earlier this year, actually, and they made money. They did great. They were uh, hard to get rid of because, you know, it's one of the first things I ever put together and did. And, but they just take time, you know, and, and again, with time being the most precious asset, you gotta, you gotta weed this stuff out. That's taking your time and, uh, and allocate that time and energy towards bigger things. Right. And now it's also a good time to unload those of where we are in the market cycle, as as you've mentioned earlier. Uh, John, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what skill sets are you currently learning? Boy, I'll tell you, I have been focused lately on not only trying to delegate and build systems around me so that I can kind of free up my time to think and and read, but also on trying to say no to things. So I bought, I bought, uh, I've been buying all these books. Like I bought James Altucher's book on 
just say no. I think it's called or something, but it was, it's the wrong focus. It's like how to say no to suicide or something. I, I started reading it. I was like, no, this isn't what I mean. I mean, how do I say no to these charity events? And how do I say no to these social engagements? And how do I say no to this deal and that deal? And, you know, you naturally, if your mindset is to try and create value for people and help people, our core, my core philosophy right at the front of my business plan, which has been there since I was in my early twenties is have fun and help people make money. And it's kind of in that order. And it's just that simple. It's like, I want to do something that's fun for me. I want to constantly be learning something. I I, want to be helping people in some way. I I come from a big medical family. They're traditional type doctors. My grandfathers, my uncles, my dad, they enjoyed what they did because they enjoyed helping people. And so with that mindset, you know, I get a call from, um, for instance, a little dental group right now and there's like four practices in one building and it's a you know it's a dinky little maybe million dollar building and I'm like I you know but I can clean up their partnership I've done it before I can help them out I can help them get their business done but it's very hard for me to say no to that when I know how to do it and I know how to help them and I don't know anyone else that I can send that to that would know how to kind of fix that so I'm training young guys in my office to do what I used to do to see things the, the right way and then hopefully I can delegate that to them. And so, I mean, honestly, what I'm trying to do is focus more on just, you know, controlling my input, saying no to things, trying to um, become, I guess, somewhat less accessible, but not, you know, I, I don't want to be completely inaccessible to people. I just, I want to try and become a little less accessible so that I can really do what I should be doing, which is, you know, guiding the ship, not, you know, dealing with every detail. Now, John, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Well, I would say some of the best advice I ever got was to show up, pay attention, and be on time. Uh, one of my very first mentors, a guy by the name of Don Chisholm, told me that. And he said, if you can do that, you will be out 98% of everyone else in the world. Now, that's not really a mindset to pass on, but that's an important principle that I've tried to live by is to show up, pay attention, and be on time. Um, from a mindset standpoint, what I try to drill down, I have four kids, and what I'm always trying to drill into them is to accept responsibility for the situation they are in. And I believe at the core, almost every successful person I have ever met in my entire life has this human nature where they accept responsibility for their situation, whatever it is. Now, if somebody, you know, T-bones you when you're driving your car because they ran a red light and, you know, it had nothing to do with anything you possibly could have done. There are freak accidents. I get that. But what I'm talking about is, you know, if you don't have money, if you don't have a, a significant other or a spouse or a friend or friends in general or people you like around you, if you are find yourself, you know, standing in the rain waiting for a bus, that's your situation. You don't blame other people for that. You have to accept responsibility for that situation and, and continually ask yourself, you know, how can I make this better? How can I, you know, that's just a mindset that if I can pass that one thing on to my kids, they'll be fine. 
they will take control of their situation. I'm not saying accept responsibility for other people's situations. I'm saying accept responsibility for your own situation and then work to make it the way you want it. John, how can my audience learn more about you, uh, your company, and stay involved with all of the projects that you're involved with? Well, promanas.com, promanas, rhymes with bananas, um, P-R-O-M-A-N-A-S.com. You can always just shoot us an email you know, to IR at promanas.com and get on our investor list, potential investor list. Um, I love talking to people about what I do. So, you know, when people are seriously considering an investment with us, I always like to try and have a phone call uh, with them at least. And, um, you know, that's about it. I I think uh, I I appreciate you having me on the show. I've listened to many episodes. I haven't gotten through all of them, but I've gotten through about 14 so far and I've enjoyed every one of them. So thank you. No, And thank you, John. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge with my listeners and providing so much value. This has been a blast uh, connecting and looking forward to, to uh, meeting you in person in the future when I come up uh, to Michigan. Yeah, when you get up to northern Michigan or anywhere in Michigan near here, give me a call. Happy to have you. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Alhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Thank you for joining my guest, John Bogdazarian, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life, so if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gashku newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 44222. You can also support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you do become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page and that awesome Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron at cashflowninja.com forward slash support. Geld Inc. is a multifamily owner which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Banking on the renter revolution amongst millennials and baby boomers, all-time low home ownership rates, and a major shortage of well-located apartments at affordable price points, Gelt has provided its investors with consistent cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. For more information on how to achieve sustainable yield for the long term, you can email Josh Satin at josh at geltinc.com. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with the added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. 
Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrending activity of ATM use. If you're an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They have designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinopsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314 799 2247. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRA within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches that comes along with it, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning in the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness. 